0: Verse 8 to 20. Um, and if you don't have a Bible um, or you would like a paper copy, um, then our host team would be really glad to get you one. So you can just raise your hand if so. Today's sermon series is continuing, um, we're continuing through the book of Acts um, and seeing how the gospel spreads throughout all the world from Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. So it's very exciting. Um, before I begin, please join with me in prayer. Dear gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for the privilege we have to read it together um, and to hear you speak. Lord, I pray you would speak to us today. That um, you would please teach us from your word. Um, please open our eyes. Please help Iggy as he preaches, Lord. Help him to preach faithfully. And please help us to see your character, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they've calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Abby. Um, Please keep your Bibles open uh, at Acts um, 19. And we will, uh, yeah, be delving deep in this passage um, a little bit later on. We'll be getting into more of what happens in this amazing, it's a really interesting little account in the uh, history of the early church. So uh, it's great that you could join us today. A uh, warm welcome to you if it's your first time. My name's Iggy. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so great that we can gather to hear God's word. Um, I just want to quickly add my commendation to the Mark drama as well. Um, how good is that opportunity that we have? Because let's think about this. Um, there's many of your friends who might... Or, you know, you might invite them to church and they'll be like, oh, nah, that's not for me. But uh, something like a, a show, you know, a drama, like that's sort of like a more in thing, right? Like people are much more willing to actually come to something like that than a church service. So take that opportunity, guys. Give it a go. Who knows? They might say yes. They might hear the gospel and God might change them. So, yeah, that's my encouragement to you guys. All right, guys. Well, you know, I want to start by um, uh, tell, giving you a bit of a warning, okay? I want to warn you about someone in our church. Okay, warn you about someone who's very, very powerful. Okay, someone who's very strong. I want you to keep an eye out for him. Someone you don't want to get on their bad side. Okay, and this person is actually Enrique Berrios. Okay, I just want to warn you about Enrique. Um, now, Enrique, he might seem like a very friendly, gentle guy. He might seem very helpful, very caring. You might not think of him as very powerful, very strong. But I want to, I want to tell you something about him today. Um, he's actually uh, a black belt champion. Did you know that? He's actually a second degree black belt in karate. This was before he even got there. And he's already... See all his medals? Do You see all those medals? Um, so Enrique is actually a trained killer, okay? <laughs> and you guys should be aware of that. He's a three-times national champion. Uh, one time, He's won the Oceania Championship one time. Uh, he's actually represented Australia at the Junior World Championships in Spain in karate. Uh, so he will win a fight against any of you in church, okay? Just... <laughs> Just going just gonna to warn you about him, all right? Obviously, he didn't ask to be put up here. I asked permission for to, you know, to share this info about him. Um, if you're like me, when I first heard this information about Enrique, I was like, wow, man, respect, respect, Enrique. Um, not that I didn't respect my brother before, uh, but now I had a fuller picture of who he was, you know, what he was capable of, who, what he could do. Um, the last thing I think Enrique wants you to do is to treat him differently because of what I've told you today, right? Uh, Just an illustration, just just sort of make a point that I think sometimes we underestimate people because we haven't really seen who they are. We haven't got a full picture of who they are. And let me tell you, I think the place that we do this the most is with God. I know this because many of us, I think, as we go through our lives, we aren't in awe of God anymore. God's become a little bit boring Maybe a little bit normal. We hear about him, but it's just like, okay, yeah, I know that. And because we see God like that, because we've lost that big picture of God, it means we don't take him as seriously as we should. So friends, today, I really want to show you anew who your God is. I want you to look at him. I want you to see him rightly. Today in Acts 19, I want you to see his power. That's what today is all about, seeing God's power, seeing his strength, and being in awe of it anew, afresh, because when you do this, it will change the way that you treat him, and in turn, that will change the way that you live every single aspect of your life. I'm thoroughly convinced of this, friends. So today's passage is very important, so come with me as we go into Acts 19. Let me give you a little bit of uh, context about where we're at, all right? So um, in our past few few, um, sermons, we've been following the journey of Paul, the Apostle Paul, He was an early church planter, early pastor, in his second missionary journey. And he's been traveling around the Greek areas. Uh, we've been seeing him in Athens. We've been seeing him in Corinth. And um, in this particular passage today, we actually follow him as he starts his third and final missionary journey. And this is a journey where he doesn't travel as much. He actually stays longer in the places that he goes to. And we're picking it up today in the city of Ephesus. So you can see up on the map there, uh, Ephesus, in the a- region of Asia Minor. That's what they c- called it back then. Yeah. So Paul will stay... Um, Ephesus, let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. So, Ephesus was a very, very important city, yeah, very important c- city. It stood at the intersection of all the major trade routes from sea and land, so it was like the centre of where all trade happened. It was the greatest commercial city in the whole area. So, it was very prosperous and enjoyed, really, um, it was enjoyed p- great political importance as a free Greek city in the Roman Empire. The Romans were in charge, but this city had a lot of independence. So, this is a very strategic city. Paul to actually preach the gospel in from here the gospel spreads throughout the whole region Paul will actually stay here for two years two years on mission for Jesus Christ which means that this is important Uh, as we heard in the reading before uh, what happened is as his normal practice he goes to the synagogue first to preach to the Jews some believe some reject then as he's rejected he moves on to the Gentiles he has discussions daily in lecture halls he presents Jesus And the result is this in verse 10. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Everyone, the whole region heard the gospel. How incredible is that? Everyone heard the word. And through Paul, we actually get to see something. So let's get into uh, the first point, which is this. Oh, this is a picture of the city of Ephesus I forgot to show you guys this yeah so there's actually you can actually visit today and the ru- the, um, the sort of ruins are still really well preserved so you can actually walk around and see it's one of the best preserved sites yeah so I think that's uh, modern-day Ephesus Yeah. okay and we're at our first point the power of God so if you're following along you can write that down the power of God that's our first point pick it up with me from verse 11 have a look in your Bibles verse 11 God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. First thing to note, who did the miracles? God did through Paul. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. We're looking at God's power, Paul's merely the instrument. And this is extraordinary. Think about this. Even pieces of cloth that Paul has touched, if a sick person touched them, they were healed. You know, if, if someone who was demon-possessed came into contact with some fabric, that the, the sp- evil spirit was cast out. This is incredible power that we're seeing here. Incredible. Imagine that happening. And this reminds us of someone, doesn't it? Who does it remind you of? Jesus. In Mark 5, he walks through a crowd, and there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, seen every single doctor, nothing. But that woman touches Jesus and is healed instantly. Power power is healed this is the power of God it's supposed to help us remember this power that Jesus had Paul it has the same power here as God is working through him and did you notice something we didn't see miracles like this in Athens we didn't see in Corinth and perhaps maybe it's because of the context here in Ephesus as we heard in the reading before the use of magic was prevalent Right? It was a city steeped in sorcery, magic, miraculous, powerful things. That's what impressed people. They were used to this sort of thing. So the, to clear the ground for the gospel to be heard, I think God wants to use miracles to show his power. Yeah? That's what's happening here. Modern-day missionaries actually report this from the field. Um, in tribal contexts, uh, which are in the grip of shamanism, animal spirits, witch doctors, things like that, which is still present today, uh, missionaries actually report more miracles from God happening in a spectacular way, with much more frequency. Than in our Western context. So I think partially because God meets people where they're at in their misunderstanding. Yeah, so that's just a little point to make here. So what happens next um, as Paul, you know, these amazing things are happening is that there's a group of uh, Jews that come along and they are traveling exorcists, essentially. People who go around casting evil spirits out of people. And they see what Paul does and they think to themselves, wow, that's a handy, that's a handy skill to have, a handy tool to have on the tool belt. So seven sons of Siva, a Jewish priest, uh, they were doing this, casting demons out. That was sort of their job. And they started saying to the demon-possessed um, people that they met, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Note something here. It seems like they have no idea who Jesus is. Did you notice what they said? They, they're essentially saying, in the name of the guy that Paul talks about, come out of, of this person. They don't even know Jesus, let alone have any belief in him. All they're trying to do is tap into the power of Jesus, get a bit of that power for themselves. And magic spells and exorcisms and rituals, they often are relied on saying special words, you know, a special uh, formula. You say these words and then power, you get something, yeah? But it doesn't go according to plan for the sons of Siva. Have a look at um, verse 15 with me. Have a look at verse 15 in your Bibles. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's an almost comical scene. Um, The sons of Siva were powerless against the supernatural power of the evil spirit. Do you see that? Uh, a, a spirit so strong, it dominated seven full-grown men and left them bleeding and naked, running out of the house. This is complete domination. Um, it reminds me a little bit about uh, the Marvel movies. I don't, I sh- this shouldn't be a spoiler anymore, right? Because Marvel movies are so old, but you know when um, uh, Bruce Banner tries to get the Hulk to come out sometimes? You know when he tries to get the Hulk to come out and the Hulk just says, no, me no wanna come out or something like that. <laughs> and he's, he's trying to, is that accurate? That's what he says, right? Yeah. <laughs> He always tries to use the big guy's power, but he can't. He can't because the Hulk's stronger than him. He can't do it. He tries to use the big guy by Bruce Banner. He's not in charge. Uh, I think I sort of think about that. The sons of Siva, they're trying to manipulate God's power for themselves, but they aren't in charge. They they can't just take the power and use it when they want. They fail. The Ephesian magicians here, they're used to formulas. They say this word, and then this happens, just like, you know, like that. But you can't do that with God. You can't play with God's power like that. You can't use Jesus like that. And when news spreads of what happens, uh, look at the result, actually. Have a look at verse 17 with me. When this becomes known to the Jews and Greeks uh, living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. There is a right reverent fear amongst the people. They're saying, wow, the name of Jesus is magnified. People are talking to each other saying, did you hear about what happened to the son's receiver? They tried to use the power of Jesus and they got owned. Who is this Jesus guy? What power? And this event had a huge impact um, on the new Christians in the city as well. Have a look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Did you notice how the section ended? In this way, the, Lord, um, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Power. And what's the power? Well, I think God's power is seen in transformed lives. That's how it's ultimately most seen. This is where it's at. More than healing or casting out of a spirit, this is real power. We've seen this all throughout um, Acts, all right? The unexpected conversions that happen in Acts. Uh, Paul, even, himself, all these people that you don't expect turning, but thousands turning to Jesus. We see power there. But it's not just in conversions. I want to point out something from this passage, too. Transformed lives are seen by also gradually growing in understanding, maturity, it's discipleship. Because here in verse 18, who's it talking about? Uh, Did you notice it says, many of those who believed now came. It's talking about believers. It's talking about new Christians. And here what's happening in Ephesus is that there's some people that have turned to Jesus, but they're still holding on to their old habits, their old ways. They're still holding on to this um, uh, culture of magic and sorcery that they used to deal in. They're sort of thinking, oh yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I've still got this stuff, I'm still going to hold on to that. Still practicing these old ways. These are things that in the OT scriptures, the Old Testament, our God is against God's will. So these Ephesians, they're seeing something, they're realizing something now. They have been called to leave their old ways behind, to let go of that power and actually submit themselves fully to the power of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Because Jesus is stronger than any other power. He is King of kings. He's Lord of lords and he is the one to be worshipped alone. Following him, it means leaving the old ways behind. And the believers here in Ephesus, they um, confess their sins, but they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. I love this bit. They bring their magic scrolls and they burn them publicly. Uh, 50,000 drachmas worth. Um, one of the commentators, uh, I'll try to find equivalent um, how much this is worth. Uh, One of the commentators has put it like this, it's 137 years of work. That's how much that was worth. And they burnt it all up as they decided to follow Jesus, the one with power. There's no coming back from this. (laughs) This is all in, devotion. Friends, following Jesus is costly. It is costly. It takes sacrifice. And the more you see him rightly, the more you see who he, who he is and what he has done and his power, the more you realize he deserves all of your life, full devotion. When these believers first came to faith, they didn't realize the full extent of what it takes to follow Jesus. They thought they could still hold on to their old ways, a little bit of this, uh, still practice their old magic, you know, indulge in these things and still follow Jesus as king. But over time, as they matured and grew by the help of the Holy Spirit, they realized, no, Jesus is my king. Jesus is the one I live for. All my life this is, I need to leave that behind. And this transformation came as they saw Jesus rightly. That's how the change came about. They saw Jesus rightly, and they responded. God's power, God's power is seen in transformed lives. If you're a Christian here today, sitting in this church, if you're not so glad that you're here today to hear about Jesus and why he's so important but if you're a Christian here today think about this your your life is a testimony to the power of God your life your very existence is a testimony to the power of the living God you are not the same person you used to be he has changed you he's transformed you because God is powerful so your life is a witness to that everywhere you go just remember that remember that the contrast is this God is powerful but Other gods are powerless. Now, the city of Ephesus um, actually had a major claim to fame. It was home to the temple of Artemis, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, right? Um, Artemis was the goddess of fertility and mistress of the wild beast. I don't know what that means, but that's what it (laughs) says. Uh, Her temple in Ephesus, think about this, was bigger than a football field. Bigger than a football field and had pillars 20 meters high. 20 meters high. i don't know what this roof is maybe five meters so four four times that height can you imagine that uh there's still ruins that are still standing in ephesus right now you can still see some of it record records say it was the largest building in the greek world so needless to say it was a major point of attraction for all the pilgrims the greek pilgrims would come to worship artemis they traveled from all over to come to ephesus to worship at the temple and this sets the scene for what happens next Jump forward to verse 23 with me as we enter a new scene. Verse 23, let me read from there. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, In practically the whole region province of Asia he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all there is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty Demetrius um, you see here um, he's concerned about the impact of Christianity in his city He ends his little speech to the workmen of the city listing three reasons to stop Paul talking about Jesus. This is what he says. He says, danger to their trade, the temple will be discredited, and Artemis will be robbed of her divine majesty. These are three reasons he gives. But I don't know about you, though, but as you read through his speech, I've got a feeling that he's more concerned about one of these than the other. Did Did you notice that? Did you notice how he started his speech in verse 25? You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. That's how he started the whole speech. I think little, you know, Demetrius Yeah, he's, he's a little bit selfish about this whole whole thing. Um, he's, I think he's just concerned about money. That's what I'm thinking here. Because what, what's his job? He actually sells little Artemis souvenirs, all right? Silver, silver little shrines, uh, probably replica temples or something like that. And he's worried that if Paul convinces more people to become Christian, no more visitors will come to the temple to buy his stuff. He will have no money. The other issues seem like an afterthought to him, I think. I think this is a little example here in in Acts of someone who's using their God for their own selfish purposes, their own ambition. In this case, it's making money. That's what happens with false gods, let me tell you. They are created by humans for humans to use for their purposes. They don't have power, they're just manipulated. And that's what Demetrius is doing right here. He's using Artemis to make money for himself. So, but Demetrius is a smart guy. He knows he needs the support of everyone. So he, he starts talking about Artemis' honor and stuff like that. So he, he whips up the crowd. They start chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They, the whole city starts chanting this. And they drag Paul and his friends into the theater. All right? This is the theater of Ephesus. It's It's absolute chaos. You can imagine this whole place filled up. The whole city's rioting against the gospel. They march to the theatre of Ephesus, a massive structure which um, they think might have c- seated up to 25,000 people. Actually, so when I first read this passage, I thought, "Oh, maybe it was just like a little room that they're having a chat in." But the whole city's there, dragging them along. They're angry, and they've dragged um, Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus, who are just who are some friends of Paul, along as well um, to this theatre to put them on trial. So. As is the case of Paul, he, he wants to say something to calm the crowd down. His friends say, don't you dare go out there, you're going to die. If you go out there, there's 20 over 20,000 people who want to kill you. Um, so they hold him back. And it's interesting here because we're used to the Jews opposing Paul in the gospel, but this is actually the first example of opposition by Gentiles alone. Yeah, the whole world's against the gospel. Yeah, <laughs> the gospel's spreading, but also opposition is as well. That's something to know. If you pick it up from verse 32, what happens? Have a look at verse 32 with me. <clears throat> the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I love that line. Isn't this a picture of the outrage culture of today? Yeah? People are so angry. They're just looking for the next thing to be upset about, right? The next thing that they see on social media that they can get angry about, comment about. Most of the time, they don't even know why. Right? I, I think there's a little picture of today. They're just going with the flow, but that's what's happening back then. Verse 30, 33, keep going, reading with me. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense uh, before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, two hours. This Alexander guy, we get introduced, I I don't know who he is. He isn't a Christian, he's a Jew. Presumably, he was going to get out the front and say something like, hey, we're not with Paul. But all they see is that he's a Jew, and they're like, be quiet. You know, you don't get to speak. Once again, reminds me a bit about today. Oftentimes, you don't even get a chance to share. People just shout you down before you even get a chance to speak. It's outrage culture. And nothing stops this riot. It's just going hard until the city clerk steps in. Um, this guy is the highest authority um, in the city, he's the liaison to Rome. And he calms everyone down and essentially just says, Calm down, don't worry about these guys, they haven't committed a crime. They haven't robbed the temples, they haven't blasphemed our goddess. If you ever complain about it, then just bring it up in the, ri- in the courts. And he diffuses the situation. And he had to, because you know what would have happened if he didn't? Uh, the, Roman, uh, the Roman army was ready to march on Ephesus and stop the riot which meant they were, they were preparing, they were, seeing, they were hearing this, they were preparing to march on the city, stop the riot, which essentially just meant killing citizens, yeah? So this guy, he had to defuse it, and he did. Thank goodness he did. The crowd disperses. And we hear, as we see here, just like in Corinth with Galeo, I don't know if you remember this guy, the pro-council there, um, here in Ephesus, a foreign government official jumps in unexpectedly, and saves the Apostle Paul. Again, this is the second time it's happened. Of course, there's no accident. God has a plan, even using foreign leaders to save him who don't even care about him. And uh, another thing we see here is that no crowd, no matter how numerous, no matter how passionate for their goddess, can derail their plan. 25,000 worshippers of Artemis verse Paul, his friends and God. Well, the result is this, Artemis zero, God one. God's power prevails. He's got a plan here, and he's more powerful than any other power. His plans won't be derailed. Friends, we see God's power in the preservation of Paul and his friends, but we also keep seeing it, like I said before, in the transformed lives of believers. And remember, this is where God's power really shines. This is where it shines. Think about this. Why was Demetrius and the rest of the citizens worried in the city? Why were they so worried? The Christians, they weren't in the city, um, you know, assassinating people, trying to launch a political campaign, trying to overthrow governments and stuff. That's not what the Christians in the city were doing. Um, What was happening is that Christians were just living different lives. They were threatened by the transformed lives of individuals, which means lifestyles were being transformed, which means the culture was being transformed. Demetrius and his friends, they were worried because the culture of the city was starting to not worship dead idols, but the true and living God. A culture that, you know, the culture was being changed to love the things that God loves. Uh, Life, equality, love, Jesus Christ. And people back then, just like today, are threatened by different. When different, you know, when new ways come along, New ways that don't agree with the status quo, that don't agree with what everybody else is thinking. People are threatened by that. People oppose that. People fight against that. And that's my warning for you guys today. Please be ready for that as you live lives which are different, because that's who we are. Holy people, which means set apart, which means we stand out. Even as you go about being individual, you know, living your life for God and you know, you're, not, you're not launching a military campaign against the government to try and make a Christian or something like that. But You, you are transforming culture, lifestyles around you as you share the gospel, and people don't like that. Be prepared for the opposition, but take comfort in this. God is more powerful than anyone or anything. He can't be manipulated. We've seen that. His plan can't be ruined. We've seen that. And he brings about complete life transformation. Just look at your life. You can see that. The question is, what does that mean for us? I've got two implications I want to draw out as we finish. The first is this: we need to turn from idols, turn from idols. What we see here um, in this passage is that nothing or no one has any real power apart from God. Nothing or no one in this world has any real power uh, to change our lives. The things we chase after, money, success, career, sex, all these things, we think they'll make us happy. We think they'll uh, give us what we need. We think they'll transform our lives, but they won't. They won't. They have no power at all to give us any lasting satisfaction or joy or to change us to be better people. And there's a great irony to these things as well because we chase these things and we use these things for our own gain. Think about it we use money to bring us security. We use sex to bring us pleasure. We use our jobs to bring us respect. But at the same time, as we think that we're in control of these things, that we're using them for our purposes, they're actually in control of us. We're being enslaved. We can't stop chasing them. We worship these false idols with our time, with our money. Have a look at your schedule. Have a look at your bank account and see what it says about your worship. That's a good place to start. Friends, I plead with you, <laughs> don't waste your time devoting yourself to these things, to anything or anyone except for God, because they have no, power, no real power to change your lives. Instead, they will enslave you. God, and God alone is the only one with real power, real power to transform your lives. Everything else will not just foul you, but enslave you. God has the power to change your life for eternity. And this only comes, friends, as we see God rightly. And that's the next implication here. See God rightly. Turn to him and see him rightly. Let me ask you a question. I wonder how many of us here today um, actually use God like maybe Demetrius does with Artemis in this passage. How, how many of us use God? See God as someone to be used for our own advantage. I wonder if God is for you some, something to be put on a shelf and forgot about and then pulled out when it's convenient. Maybe when we're going through a hard time, we pull God out of that box so he can help us. We need a little bit of comfort. Uh, when times are better, we put him back in. Maybe when we want something really badly, we take God out of the box so we can ask him for it. Uh, this is what I call vending machine theology, right? Right? put the prayer in, push the button, wait for the result. This is the danger of the prosperity gospel, it's very me-centered, whatever I need, whatever I want, I name it and claim it, and I should have it, God should give it to me. And when things don't go my way, He's failed me. Friends, this sort of theology, understanding of God, that's what theology means, this sort of theology comes from an understanding of God that is far too small, far too small, because we need to see God rightly. He's not someone to be used for our own purposes. He's someone to be worshipped and in awe of and adored. We need to behold our God anew. This is God we're talking about. This is the one who spoke the world into existence, spoken into existence. We do not have an impotent, uncaring God that is uninvolved in our lives like a wooden idol that sits on a shelf. We have an all-powerful, never-failing, loving God that created the universe, that breathed life into you and me. That knows every hair on our heads that formed us in our mother's wombs and who has stepped into our world as a man jesus christ so that our lives can be transformed forever forever in his biggest moment of weakness that god the awesome creator god shows us his power because on the cross is jesus hung dying for the sins of the world which looks very weak right we see power and when we visit the empty tomb three days later we see power because the cross and resurrection means that jesus christ has defeated sin and death and risen victorious in new life and this new life that he has now he reigns in heaven he offers this new eternal perfect life to all who come to him this is real change this is real power this is transformation this is our god the one with power to change our lives not just now but for eternity this is power and friends if we really see this if we really behold the power of god i think we have to change the way we think about jesus the way we treat jesus friends how about today we commit to stop to not try and be the boss but submit ourselves and worship and devote ourselves to the true boss, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Instead of trying to use Jesus for our own purposes, how about we be open to be used by him for his purposes? Instead of wanting change in our lives for our happiness, how about we ask for change in our life for his glory? How about we pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, use me for your purposes, your will be done, not mine. Wouldn't that be a great way to respond to the King? Imagine what would happen in our lives, in our church, in our city. God would be glorified. Friends, God is powerful. My only plea for you today is this, please live like that's true. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we've made you far too small in our lives where we've forgotten who you are, what you have done. We've forgotten your power, your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Please forgive us for that. And we pray for your help by your Holy Spirit to help us behold in you who you are. Help us to treat you rightly. And may we let our lives be transformed and used for you and your purposes, not for our own. We pray this because ultimately what matters is not our glory but your glory alone we pray this in jesus name amen friends let's take a bit of time reflecting on the word today maybe you want to pray that prayer silently in your hearts now god lord jesus use me for your purposes your will be done not mine maybe that's what you want to pray but just reflect on the word today thanks